Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Canadian jazz vibraphonist Dan McCarthy. He talked about his newest 2019 CD called City Abstract, his second release from the Seattle-based label Origin Records. In March of 2019, after 15 years in New York City, he came back home to Toronto to pursue a master's degree in jazz composition at York University. He has been studying music since he was three years old, and it shows. He's got great stories, and you can hear them all here. So dig it. So hey, Dan, thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So talk to me a little bit about your latest CD, City Abstract. Kind of what was the artistic vision for this process? Essentially what it was, it's sort of a, a two-fold situation. Um, the first part of it was uh, strictly musical. Um, the, the two people that I feel have influenced me the most throughout my career uh, would be Gary Burton in terms of my uh, playing and performance, and then Carla Blay in terms of writing and composing. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of put together a project that paid sort of tribute to these two people um, who, you know, obviously their paths have crossed many times as well, um, especially back in the 70s, a bunch of records. Gary did a bunch of stuff with Carla, um, specifically Dream So Real, which is uh, a whole record of him playing Carla's music. Uh, and so this is sort of my way of saying thank you to, to the two of them for what they've done. Uh, the second part of it was um, getting a chance to, to play with these three musicians specifically, uh, Ted Quinlan, Pat Collins, and Ted Warren, who were all... Um, instrumental to me in my in my school days back in college when I was at Humber College uh, here in Toronto. Um, they all had a, a pretty big in, impact on me in, in their own individual ways. Uh, and so getting to bring them together right after I moved back to Toronto from Brooklyn um, for this project was kind of uh, very special to me. So um, those two sort of uh, things came together to form this project, City Abstract. So are you originally from Toronto? Yes, uh, born and raised here went to Humber College. I was actually in their community music school from the age of three. Um, and then I went into their college program right after high school. Uh, it was kind of funny because my, my student number uh, was assigned to me in 1983 when I was three years old. And so my student number was vastly different from every other student when I was there in college. And then uh, in 2004, I moved down to New York. Uh, and I was there for almost 15 years and just moved back uh, a few months ago in, in March of this year. Um, I'm actually going back to school um, to do my master's in composition at York University here in Toronto. So what were some of the early albums you listened to that really got you motivated? My, my favorite story to tell about that is, is, so one of my favorite, probably top five Desert Island records of all time is a, a CD by, or I guess it was a record at the time, by Gary Burton, um, by his quintet entitled Ring. Um, and it's, uh, it's a unique instrumentation. It's Gary on vibes, uh, Mick Goodrick and Pat Matheny on guitar, um, Bob Moses on drums, and then uh, both Steve Swallow and Eber Hardweber uh, on bass. So vibes, two guitars, two basses, and drums. And when I was first getting into jazz, uh, my sort of only knowledge of the vibraphone was like Mill Jackson and Lionel Hampton. And my dad, who um, at the time liked to frequent flea markets and find interesting CDs and stuff, came back home, this is, I was in college at this time, it's probably 98 or 99, he comes home with, uh, with Ring, and I put it on, and it's just the weirdest, most, I, I couldn't stand it, I, I turned it off after about a minute, I couldn't stand the music, um, and then, like a lot of, you know, like a lot of great records, I revisited it about a year or two later, and I was just like, this is a genius album, this is absolutely incredible, um, and so that got me into the rest of Gary's ECM stuff, uh, Passengers, uh, Dream So Real, um, obviously the duet stuff with Chicks, so that's 
that's sort of my my main sort of influence um, where I'm coming from. Uh, so those are the, the, the my sort of most played CDs these days. So, you know, the vibes is not a common instrument in jazz, and we have a bias around here. We love the vibes. So my question is, what, how did that become your instrument? <laughs> so I went to an arts high school here in Toronto, uh, Tobacco School of the Arts, and in my senior year of high school, uh, every it, it's a, you know, our school is here to audition to get in. All the percussion majors, each year you're required to be in percussion ensemble, um, which was, you know, just sort of a fun thing, but... You know, I was in my senior year. I was late on the first day. They were assigning all the parts, and of course, all the fun parts like drum set, timbales, congos, bongos, everything was taken except the one melody instrument, which was the vibes. And I was pretty upset because <laughs> I wanted to play the drums. Um, but very quickly found that I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed learning the harmony side of music, which I hadn't really kind of dove into. And throughout that year, I just I really wanted to do nothing except practice vibes um and so then at the end of that year i auditioned for humber both on drums and vibes um got in and very quickly dropped the drums side of things just to focus on on playing vibraphone and um got to study with with don thompson when i was at humber and that was a huge treat he's phenomenal so was new york always on your radar to go to and then how was that experience for you in new york it uh, i mean i think it's always on everyone's radar to some extent you know it's you know, for, for better or ill, it's the, the center of the jazz universe, which is in no way to say that um, the scenes that exist outside of New York are not good. Um, you know, New York just happens to have a, a ton of really great players that sort of um, that sort of center in on that. And so, you know, it was always something I'd thought about doing. It was just sort of a very fluke thing. A friend of mine was going to Manhattan School for his master's, and his roommate dropped out in August and he had to find a roommate within a month. And so I just up and decided, hey, why not? So I quit my job and <laughs> moved down to New York with, with no job, no resources, not really any money, and uh, and went from there. Um, and then as far as how it was, it, it, a lot of ups and downs. Um, it, it, it's a really difficult city to make it in as a musician, especially when you only want to do music. Um, I got jobs, ended up bartending for about 10 years while I was there. Um which allowed me to, to really kind of do the music thing. But it's it's tough. It's a really tough city. Um, but uh, it's also, it can be very inspiring when you, you know, pick any night of the week to go out and you can see world-class musicians. So was it relieving to come back home to Toronto and has your style of play, your maybe being more relaxed, does that help you? It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it, I, after, so I was down there for about 15 years. After about 10 years, I started to, it started to kind of lose its luster. I was, you know, kind of ready to move back home. You know, I'm all my family's here and, and all that stuff. You know, my wife and I had a kid, and that was sort of the the final push that we needed to get back to family and stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so getting getting back here, I definitely feel like it's a little more relaxed and I can kind of just play. Um, you know, New York had a big influence on, on my playing, and, you know, obviously. Um, and uh, so it's nice to kind of come back with uh, – with a much different perspective than I have on music um, when I left, you know, 15 years ago. What was one of the first jazz shows you saw live that really made you think, man, this is what I want to do? Good question. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think of the first. I think, so when I was a kid, in, uh, when I was still in high school, I went to, there's a jazz camp uh, up in King Carden, uh, Ontario, which is about a three-hour drive kind of north 
northwest of Toronto. And uh, it's it's a great jazz camp, and there's a ton of great um, great guys that great Toronto guys that, that teach there. Um, uh, you know, uh, Alex Dean, Lauren Lasky, Barry Elms. Um, I think one of the sort of one of the concerts they did. There's a the drummer here named Barry Elms, and um, him and a bass player named Al Henderson have a, a quartet or a trio slash quartet called Time Warp, uh, which is you know two saxophones, four sax and trumpet, and then bass and drums. Um, and he brought that band up there to do a concert one night, and I think I was just like blown away at how how much of a band they seem. Like they seem really tight playing together. And, um, I mean, they've been playing together for many years already at that point, and they still are doing stuff now. Um, and so that was kind of one of the first first shows that really kind of hit me. It's kind of funny now because now that I'm back in school at York um, doing composition, my composition instructor is Al Henderson, who's the the bass player from that group. So kind of kind of came full circle there. You've had the chance to either learn or play with a lot of legends and luminaries in the world of jazz. What have you learned from them? What, have, what has been some advice, or what have you just kind of learned about being around those kinds of people? I've been, I've been super lucky, um, and you know, and been able to to sort of play with some of these people. Um, and I think, you know, one of the big things that it's taught me is just play with people, play with anybody. You know, when I had Steve Swallow on my last CD, I mean, that was a pure, I'd never met him before, just a pure cold call email <laughs> that I just shot out to him. And it was like, hey, I'm doing this project, you know, would love to have you. Um, and he said, yes. Uh, you know, he has no idea who, who I am, but he's still, you know, willing to do that. You know, and he's, you know, 77, 78 and still willing to sort of play with, with, um, you know, anybody that wants to play. And I think that's a really good approach to music because you never know who, you know, who you're going to learn stuff from. Um, you know, it's one thing to, to play with your, you know, to, to study and teach and stuff or, you know, study with your teachers and learn stuff from them. But I think that, you know, whether you're playing with people that are better than you or that aren't at your level, you're going to still learn stuff, you know, from them and different approaches to play and stuff. And so that's, you know, I think one of the big things is, is to do that and, and also just to be, be kind, <laughs> you know. The, uh, again, with with Steve, I mean, he's he's probably one of the kindest and gentlest souls that I've ever had the, the pleasure to, to to talk to. Not even just in music, but I mean, he's just such a, a a kind and generous person, and it just it makes you want to be like that as well. And you know, it, it just makes you appreciate them more and their music more. And you know, when I when I met Gary Burton, it was the same sort of thing. Like he was very kind. He would go out of his way to to help, and uh, you know. It, it just it really kind of inspires you. It makes you want to do better. It makes you want to be the same way to the next generation of musicians coming up. And I think that's just so important. So why do you love jazz? Ooh, feels like a loaded question. Um, for So for me, it's, I, I've had a, a very sort of rocky relationship with it. Um, I actually stopped playing music for a number of years while I was in New York because I became very kind of jaded with the whole scene. Um, you know, I've, I moved down there and after a couple of years, Napster came out and then all the streaming stuff came out and the idea of paying for music just sort of vanished. Um, record labels started to fall. Um, CD stores like Tower was gone. Um, and then, you know, for me, the kind of final straw was that my, my own friends, like when I would release a CD, they would be like, hey man, can I get a copy for free? And it's like, man, if you can't even get your friends to... <laughs> You know, shoot you ten bucks for a project that costs you twelve thousand dollars. Like, what are you really hoping to do with the general public? So I definitely, you know, kind of got jaded and, and and I stopped playing for. You know, I packed the vibes up and I didn't touch them for for a few years, which I think was probably the best thing that ever happened because I didn't think I would ever come back to it. But 
the fact that I, after a few years, kind of missed it and really wanted to get back just for the for the sake of playing music rather than anything else. Um, I kind of knew that it was something that I really wanted to do because I never put pressure on myself to to do it. Um, and so coming back to it, I just I I love being able to sort of express and and play music, and it's the best way that I have of communicating sort of thoughts and feelings. I'm not a great writer. I'm absolutely terrible painter. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm really not good at anything in the arts except music. And, and so for me, it's a really, um, it's really the way that I can be myself more than, more than any other time. Um, and that's sort of what I, what I get from it. So final question, everyone has a version or an interpretation of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but you know yourself best. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Uh, man, I mean, I'm a, I, I'm just a normal person. Uh, I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a jazz musician. I'm a student. I'm a strength and conditioning coach. But I mean, you know, I think that, I mean, the thing now that that kind of is more important than anything else is, is just sort of being a role model to my to my kid, and and raising him the best way that I can. And you know, I want to be a a good person and I, you know, I want to be a kind person because I think more than anything, that's what I want for, for him is for him to be, you know, kind and generous and loving. And so for me, the best, you know, the best way I can teach him that is to do that myself and, you know, to make him believe that whatever he wants to do, he should feel like he can go out and try it. The same way that my parents did for me. My parents at a very young age had a very, had a kind of serious conversation with me and they were like, look, we don't, we don't care what you end up doing in life. We don't, want you to be anything you don't want to be. All we ask is that whatever you do brings you happiness. And at the time, I didn't really understand the impact of that. <laughs> but especially now being a parent and like having them be so supportive of me, whatever that meant, was huge. And that, that really allowed me to the freedom uh, to explore things that I might want to do and make me happy. And so for me, I'm just a person that wants to make the world a better place for my son. That's a great answer, man. Hey, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. Good luck with everything. Hey, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Canada, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Dan for his time, music, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.